Hello, and welcome back to The World Behind the World to Come. I'm your host, Hugh Heisel, and today we have a very special treat for you. I'll be passing the reins over to our audio department for a roundtable discussion with the people who combined all of the disparate pieces of this puzzle into the episodes that you will ultimately hear. I'll be back at the end to fill you in on what's to come in the world behind the world to come. But for now, I'll hand things over to a very familiar voice, the fantastic Mr. Andy Peterson. Tell us about the audio, Andy. Well, hello, everyone. So we have teased this episode where we get to go a little bit behind the scenes of the audio department. So to help us discuss this, let's bring in Mike Luno, our sound guy. Hey, Mike. Hey, Andy. Thanks for that. So today we're giving you a little peek behind the microphone experience. There's a lot of different elements here in the world to come between the music, the dialogue, the singing and the sound effects. Our process for combining all those different components into the episode was certainly a unique and new experience to all of us. And we're excited to share some of the secrets with you. And I'd like to introduce Sean Haggerty, who's our wonderful sound designer. Hey, Hey, Sean. <laughs> How's it going? Really good, Sean. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm hanging in there. I'm glad to hear that. Father of two, violinist, acclaimed sound designer, preeminent fixture in the New York immersive theater scene, <laughs> Sean Haggerty. He created and managed all the sound effects. He also did a lot of the heavy lifting with the mixing, some great tender violin moments on Take Heart, rollicking violin moments in The Rite of Giving, and downtown theater artist violin moments on My Dinner with Andre. Thanks. Yeah, it's it's been a really interesting experience kind of pulling together all the different sound elements for the show with everyone recording remotely. It's a lot of thinking about not just the space that the, the story is in, the different environments that people are walking through and interacting in. But it's also thinking about all of the spaces that all of the uh, performers are recording in. And I know that, Mike, you've worked a lot with uh, the individual actors and like how to have the best sound quality and everything for their individual setups. But it's a, it's a lot of listening to them and trying to make it all sound the same and have it all work together. One of the parts that I've really loved about this process, it's satisfying that itch for sound design that that I have uh, with working in theater. And that's, you know, like going through the script and, and marking where all the sound effects are and having meetings about, you know, what's appropriate for everything and talking with Rachel and kind of sorting all of that. And then kind of using all that information to, you know, pull together a cue list and then, you know, really kind of pulling different sounds to help tell the story, uh, kind of specific Foley moments or different environments or that kind of thing. Having heard a lot of the dialogue and everything come through, I will say that the layering of the sound effects, once we got to that stage in the process, that's what made it really feel like a immersive world. You know, like the music takes you a place and the dialogue takes you a place for sure. But hearing the sounds of the characters walking, in particular, you know, Everwind's footsteps in episode eight that sound different than anyone else's footsteps. So when you hear that sound, you know that it's her, has been very effective. Uh, one really valuable conversation that I had with Rachel was specifically talking about what shoes everyone is wearing. If there's one way to get really great character information, it's to start there, I, I've come to realize. And, and actually, it, it says a lot about each person, you know, like the, you know, the Talons wearing combat boots and the Skindalisa's wearing high heels and, you know, just all of these 
you know, the right. Soderbergh sneakers and all these all these different things. There's so many footsteps in this that uh, that's a strangely big part of the storytelling, <laughs> I find. Yeah, well, and Chip skates, too. And I thought it was interesting, having been in the session, the way that the footsteps were actually executed with Chip's skates in particular, where you made an instrument, a sampler instrument, for the footsteps. So I like to imagine you at two in the morning and in your home after spending all day with your twin toddler boys, just there with your little MIDI keyboard, just listening and being like, step, 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 as you're playing it on the keyboard. And it it's really effective because it renders it in real time, you know, and it allows you to be adaptable and dynamic with the footsteps. You know, it's it's the best we can do in terms of a more traditional Foley of like actually working with shoes and different materials to to kind of create that sound. And I think one of my favorites too is that is Sir Cyborg like has a whole instrument that I created where it's kind of like using different like junk squeaks and metal sounds that kind of go along with his combat boots to uh, kind of create the illusion of, of uh, you know. Of the plastic metal, <laughs> junk metal costume that he's yeah, wearing. essentially. And then the mini version of the instrument that you made for Bastion's little Star Wars costume, too, with a different set of sounds was pretty cool. Yeah, I've, I've got a, a great little uh, Stormtrooper costume walking instrument ready to go for whenever the the next project needs it, you know? Yeah, you heard it here first, Broadway and <laughs> Disney. We're ready. We're ready for the Stormtrooper musical. Yeah, it's it's been really interesting just you know, working both with the sound effects as well as working with the actors' individual voices and just a perpetual, a real, <laughs> a real delight just working with all of the underscoring and all of the orchestrations that keep being developed throughout our creative process and our uh, surprise, I think, along the way. Uh, so, yeah, I, 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 I'm curious what Andy has to say about that. Yeah, I mean, I guess I kind of piggyback a lot off what Sean does. I kind of view the underscoring as kind of audio set dressing or set design because I'm kind of working with Sean to create like the places, the sound of these places. So like, what does the music sound like in the world of the fansi versus what does the music sound like in the world of the criteriones? So really giving the audience this immersive oral experience with sound effects and site-specific music has been really fun to like delve into and play off um, of what Sean does, I think. I, it's been fun to listen to. In the beginning, we were kind of still finding our footing, you know, and I think of that first episode, there was one moment where like kind of two separate things were sort of created because everybody was kind of, you know, like I said, finding their footing and a bit working in a vacuum because we just didn't have a common language about this format. Mm -hmm. And the way that we're used to working in theater is completely different than this process. Right. And so it's been really fun to kind of see that development. We really hit our stride as we've been going along. And so the, the process is to essentially finish all the sound effects first or the bulk of the sound effects and add the underscoring towards the end of the process too. So it's all coming together in a really exciting way. Yeah, I guess like we came into this project without any kind of understanding about like what we were creating and how to create it. So we were kind of creating a process as we went along. So there was a lot of trial and error as to like the sequence of events. Like the first episode we had 
like Sean working on his own and I working on my own. And then we put it together and we're like, oh, some of the timing doesn't match up because we all kind of didn't communicate very well. Right. Communication is always the key in any kind of relationship. Yeah, that's definitely true. I think a good example of a moment when we really hit our stride with communication and found a, a real magic moment is in episode six, when we first meet the Oracle of Nipple, played by the lovely Lana Gordon. The process for that was, you know, to get all the dialogue set up, to get it all kind of locked in, and then to add the sound effects where we have Sean's layer of sparkling, mystical flame sounds. And then on top of that, Andy added another layer of gorgeous music that helps propel the action forward. So we just kind of like to give another example of the building of the process. So here's just the dialogue from that moment. The wheel of Chip's roller skate caught on something and he crouched to pick it up. By gum! I think this is a knucklebone from a human being! He dropped it, and suddenly a flicker of light ahead halted them all in their tracks. Now here's the dialogue plus sound effects. By gum! I think this is a knucklebone from a human being! He dropped it, and suddenly a flicker of light ahead halted them all in their tracks. The glimmer expanded into a larger ball of flame that seemed to hover high above them as their eyes adjusted. Now here's the full picture, dialogue, sound effects, and music. The trio moved cautiously forward, deeper into the darkness. The wheel of Chip's roller skate caught on something and he crouched to pick it up. By gum! I think this is a knucklebone from a human being! He dropped it, and suddenly a flicker of light ahead halted them all in their tracks. The glimmer expanded into a larger ball of flame that seemed to hover high above them as their eyes adjusted. Oh yeah, it's just a torch, y'all. The faint light revealed a figure standing on the landing of a staircase looming above them. A woman with a head wrap and matching robes that glowed orange in the firelight. She gazed with dark, wild eyes that expressed something akin to grim amusement. Who stalks into my parlor bleak to touch my wisdom you three seek? You know, dudes, I just got to say it's great to work with such talented people who can render such gorgeous moments. And that's one of my favorites. She's the first real like mythical person that we meet. You know, she's the first person that we've like really like quested to. You know, we encounter Pork Polian, we encounter the Tunianists and everything, of course. But she has this mystical element about herself. And as we've been talking about with just the shifting between genres, I think this is a great example of finding that mystical moment and creating that visual world just through sonic means right yeah i mean like that was a great example of like i understood what the sound of the world was what the sound of nipple was because i heard the sound effects and i was like okay so i'll like add like a bunch of harp stuff and a bunch of alto flute on like a whole tone scale and like that's the sound of nipple just because sean sent through like these like haunting kind of undertones underneath all the dialogue it was great you know guys i gotta say we're kind of putting the car before the horse here though because we've talked about the sound effects and the music but we haven't really talked about the dialogue which was actually the first thing that we got which is where we meet cadence our lovely audio apprentice and she also plays violin into boldly go she's a wonderful musician and composer in her own right so everybody please welcome cadence hira Hey, everyone. It's me. Yay. Hey, Cadence. Hey, Cadence. How you doing today? Good, good. You know, without giving away too many secrets, can you just kind of walk us through the 
process of recording the audio and the intake because all the actors recorded by themselves at home and then they all sent us the files and we had to deal with those. So how did that all go down? Yeah, for sure. So all of the actors are all recording in call with our director, Rachel. And after that individual recording session is finished, they all upload all of their takes, which I then put into our session and put them into Um, I guess, different takes of the individual scenes, which I would then bounce and send to Rachel. And then she gives her notes on which takes work, which takes don't. I splice them together and kind of string an entire episode of pretty much, I guess, just the rough scenes all together. And then after that, I go through with our audio restoration software and find like plosives or if there's any background noise, since as you mentioned earlier, everyone's recording remotely and there's different setups. And then, yeah, after that, We pretty much have a rough, I guess, all the way through the episode of just the dialogue. And then I hand it off to both Sean and Andy for the syncing with the underscore and the sound design. I was going to just mention, I I think one of the interesting things about that process is just the live aspect to it. I wonder if you guys could speak to that. The live aspect of the recording? The live aspect of recording, that people are actually recording together. So much like we're doing now, everyone would gather on a Zoom call. Rachel would be leading the room in the way that a director typically would in a rehearsal. We'd record the scenes with the actors acting with one another so that they could have the real reactions. So it was all simultaneously recorded. And that's where Cadence would have to then take all those individual clips and sync them up, which is in of itself a pretty monumental task. And I think that being said, too, I mean, I think it like can't be overstated how much of I guess like a marvel it is that everyone's recording remotely every single person with like a different setup in different time zones it all works I mean like it could be a much bigger nightmare if everyone wasn't like a superstar yeah we were really lucky to get outstanding performers which is part of the magic of Rachel Klein let's be honest and also just everyone's commitment to be game to try and to learn and to develop new skills I think it's really daunting to do that, especially in this moment when there's so much uncertainty. And so every actor's adaptability and flexibility was really crucial. And I think it also like added to like we because we didn't record it like a voiceover setup, it really helped the actors give more in their characters because they're actually reacting in real time to each other. And so it, it kind of gives it that theater aspect that it's like live in the moment, but then we also record like three different takes so we can go back and pick which actual moment we liked better. Especially in those big scenes that had eight characters, sometimes we'd have five takes and we'd be taking different selections from different takes from different characters. And that all fell on Cadence. And she did a pretty good job of tracking that and keeping track of that and making sure everything was in the right place at the right time. And I just have to say personally, Cadence, you were a complete lifesaver in this as it became a bit of an organizational nightmare having someone like you who is very organized and very adaptable and willing to help refine the process so that it runs more efficiently made a really big difference in my life. So thank you for that. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you. Uh, another thing that Cadence did that helped out a lot was cleaning up the choruses, which is something we talked about before with Andy, because try as we might to get every release exactly identical. It's just really not possible if you're not breathing in in the same room as other people. So Cadence did a really great job tightening up the 
ensemble moments and making sure everyone's consonants were lined up together. Yeah, I, I mean, that was such a interesting discovery on how to record massive ensemble vocals when we're recording in like five different time zones, everyone kind of recording on their own at different points in the week. And I guess I kind of came up with a system in that I brought on board my husband, Brody, who is a uh, singer and actor himself. And I was able to coach him in like the rhythms and the exact cutoffs that I want. And then he would perform that. And then I would bounce a track with his vocals on it with the accompaniment and send that across to the actors to then record their vocals along with for the ensemble moments. So I guess we can bring in uh, Brody to talk a little bit about his experience on this. Hey, Brody. Hi, how's it going? Pretty great here. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. I'm like so overjoyed. Like I, I'm so lucky to be a part of this with all of you. And I'm really lucky that one day Andy said, hey, do you want to record some vocals for this new project I'm doing? And I said, uh, sure. And I basically went into a room with him. He gave me this sheet music I got to sight read most of the time. And I got to play with different ranges of my voice that I typically wouldn't be singing in. I got to sing like the bass line, which is rare. I got to sing like the tenor. I even got to play with a little bit of, you know, higher than that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just so overjoyed and lucky to also have Andy there in the same room as me, kind of like telling me when all the cutoffs are, like you said, and, and, uh, and really like keeping me in line do you appreciate that, though? I do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> After listening to the final product, I definitely yeah, do. Yeah. I, in the moment, I might have been like, oh, come on. Like, like <laughs> I, I got it. I got it. And he'd be like, no, no, no. And listening to the final product of, of what has come out from, like, the first MIDI, like, dun, 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 version to, like, what it becomes is fascinating. I, I'm just, like, so happy to serve all of you and to even be heard on this at all. You know, Brody, I gotta say you do great work and it's fun for us in the mixing stage because we know when we have a question about the consonant and we see that maybe some sections have a tendency to cut off a little early and some sections have a tendency to cut off a little late that we can always just check in with the Brody track. Uh. And there is absolutely no doubt where the consonants are in your your moments. So they've been a very helpful guide to us as well. Well, thank you. That's all Andy. It's it's literally him. I'm there going, blah. And then Andy <laughs> just goes, uh, no, that was wrong. Uh, let's do that again. <laughs> let's do it again 10 more times. And then I'm like, blah. And he's like, okay, that's okay. And then that's what you get. So it's not my doing at all. It's totally Andy. It's a collaboration. You know, in music school, you learn different techniques for practicing. And right now I'm thinking of one where you line up 10 pennies on a music stand and you play something. And if you play it right, you slide one penny over to the other side of the music stand. And then you play it again and you do it again. And then if you play it a third time and you mess up, you slide those first two pennies back and start over again. So you can't leave the room until you've done it perfectly 10 times. And I kind of imagine that's what you were going through, Brody. That's exactly what we do, actually. No, I'm kidding. Um <laughs> <laughs> it, that's a very like capitalistic approach to uh practicing. Sure. Do you guys do it with grains of rice? <laughs> we do. One one grain at a time. And then like I get to eat the rice at the end of the night. Like that's my <laughs> what Sometimes. I win if I get it right. <laughs> yeah, well you gotta get it right. Yeah. It's amazing what we can do with technology because 
you know, if this were a radio show, let's say in the 40s, or, you know, my timing's probably off, but if this were a radio show a long time ago, I mean, you know, you get maybe one shot, maybe two shots. Of adrenaline, (laughs) adrenaline. (laughs) It's fascinating that we can like meet on Zoom and we can make this happen in this way. We are so lucky and I'm just so excited to serve you. I I love this so much. So thank you. Well, thanks, Brody. That's really nice. I know I speak for myself when I say just having something to do when I wake up every day has been a real blessing in this time where our industry has just stopped completely. And most of us are just completely out of work because what we do involves people gathering on mass and that just can't happen until this virus is more under control. So I, I have to say that too, this has been a blessing and it's lovely to have everybody just come in and give it their all. And you've certainly done that just as much as anyone else has in this project. Andy, I, I wonder if you can speak to the process of how you create your music in drafts and how kind of different sounds and instruments get layered on. This has been a very different process for me writing wise, because normally I do it like standard musical theater, like I'll play a piano part and write down that piano part and write down the vocals. But for this process, because I'm kind of envisioning and producing a a fully orchestrated track for each song, I'm trying to envision it like without the piano. So taking myself off the piano and just thinking, okay, in the moment, what are the violins doing? And because I have a great sample library, I can kind of just listen to what I'm hearing in my head straight away as I play it into the computer. And so it's been fun kind of just going through my library and saying, oh, like the bassoon represents the cardinal with the harpsichord. And that's like the sound of the roost is like this kind of regal um, old sound. And then like going into my synth library and playing around with all kind of loops and beats and and synthiness for the criterions. And then going into my favorite fansci world and playing with like full orchestra film style sci-fi music. It's been really fun to kind of expand from the piano into writing for like 80-piece orchestra from time to time. It seems like you have your own kind of remote pit orchestra of different musicians to pull from, right? Yeah, we didn't want it to sound like super synthy or like sequenced all the way through. So we've been lucky to have, I think, five or six live musicians join us even within our sound like sound team, like everyone on the sound team has played on this show. So like everyone's bringing all their skills to the table and it gives us kind of this weird like mix of live and synthesized instruments, which I think gives it like a unique kind of fibrovian sound. So the live instruments that we have, we have Cadence played violin, Sean plays a bunch of violin as well. And then I play drums, percussion, and bass. We also have Spencer Cohen, who Andy knows from Broadway. And Spencer plays drums and percussion. We have Mike Rosengarten, Broadway guitarist, friend of all of ours. Sean and I met him at the same time. Uh, God, was that? How many years ago was that? Wayne Leachford, who I know from touring. And Wayne is a contractor and an instrumentalist who lives in North Carolina, and he plays a bunch of different woodwind instruments. 
and does all this other stuff. You guys don't really know Wayne that well, but he's a really cool guy. He has a music store that has a bunch of teaching studios in it. He's a real go-getter and a wonderful musician and always puts together a really good, really fun band. So I was just happy to reach out to him and glad that he was on board with this. Yeah, it's been a fun process, like kind of inviting these instrumentalists to bring a bit of themselves, Sometimes, like especially for the drum stuff and sometimes for the guitar stuff, I just send through like very vague charts, if that, and just say, hey, this is the kind of groove that we want. Uh, just do what you do. And that's been fun because like, obviously I don't play all these instruments. So asking these people that specialize in like creating drum beats to create the beat for the song is very satisfying for me as well. Yeah. Well, and that's something that a lot of people don't realize is that commonly rhythm section instruments, like specifically the guitar and drums, but also piano to a certain extent, sometimes the part that you get is very nebulous. It's just kind of a roadmap of the piece and there's conventions and all those types of things. So as a drummer, I would get the parts from Andy in the logic session where he'd program it in with MIDI. Mm -hmm. So I'd pull up the score, the MIDI score in Logic, and read off of that, but it didn't look like an actual drum chart. It's a a whole other story entirely. But what I do professionally mostly is kind of make up parts that are appropriate, and that's something that I've missed. And so getting to do that on this project was really fun. Andy, I wonder if you can speak a little more also about all the different musical influences and and reference points along the way for creating this music because I I know in doing some of our recording together with violin you would give me very specific references like this piece is a direct combination of these two different songs and I would listen to them and it was really uncanny how you would stay very true to those songs while also kind of combining them to make new things. Yeah, I mean, what's fun about this world is that you can delve into so many different genres of music. And with my background, I have never kind of gravitated towards one genre or another. I've always kind of just appreciated each genre for what what it is and what it provides to its fans. And so it's been fun to kind of delve into each genre for each episode. So like episode six, we start off with like a Sesame Street style song. And then we go into the second song, which is like a Celtic Irishy ballad. And then the final song of the episode is a like 90s rock song. I love listening to all of those different kinds of music. Maybe not the Sesame Street style stuff as much these days. You're no fun. Uh, it has its moments. <laughs> also like dealing with the instrumentalists and having to give really specific touchstones for the vibe that I want without writing certain specific parts means that I have to do a lot more research and delve into the genre a lot more, which has been Yeah, I think the audience experience is the same as the characters in that it's it's a journey. It's a it's a journey as they are going these different places, you're exploring these different uh, these different styles. I, I, I remember listening in the world below, there's a whole war with the tuniness and there's this like incredible kind of like Danny Elfman uh, underscoring. And, and it's just, I, I don't know, it really, really takes you into this kind of darker underworld place that we, we just never been to before. Yeah. I mean, it's fun because I like, I, as I said, I don't gravitate towards like a particular genre. So I get to experience writing 
these different genres and like see what I enjoy writing the most. And, and that's been like a fun journey for this project in particular is finding what I enjoy writing the What's most. What's been the most challenging aspect of that? The most challenging aspect is trying to find my own voice within the genre, but with keeping it true to the genre. I don't want to copy someone's music, but I also want my 90s music to sound 90s. So there's certain like really delving into the musicology of like what makes the 90s sound or what makes the Looney Tunes sound, which we wanted to kind of like recreate for the world below, like delving into like that musicology side, which has been challenging, but also really educational for me. <laughs> it's been really fun to watch. I'm going to quote Louis Villabon, who plays the Cardinal here and say that Andy Peterson is a master of style. And I think you've done a really good job of staying true to the genres, but still finding your own voice within them, definitely. Thank you. So that's more or less how we get all the disparate pieces, right? Yeah. And then we combine them all into the episode. Sean Haggerty does the bulk of the mixing in the late stages of the episode to keep everything on the same level. I, I see what you did there. <laughs> we get about 75,000 notes from Andy. I mean, to be fair, most of the notes from Andy are more harpsichord. Andy loves notes about harpsichord. Because you guys like tuning it down. I'm like, bring out the harpsichord. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always happy to kick up the harpsichord a little bit more. It's appreciated. It's such a process. I think we've, we've, that we've figured out. And, and I, I think to see the combination of I feel like we're we're mixing both film like elements of film as well as elements of our our kind of respective theater backgrounds like I love how you know we're we're talking about how you know the kind of the live quality of everyone recording together and and then like a big part of that is like is kind of having the clapper and people were like saying what their own takes are and like having a like a whole process of like you know, collecting takes. And then, you know, once that's all put together and we have, I, I'm so impressed by all the work that goes into just like creating, you know, this cohesive dialogue and singing track that then, you know, from there, we really start to integrate the music and, and sound effects and, and, and everything else. I feel like that there's this film quality to the music that kind of transports us there and the kind of epic journey that we're on, as well as our process of, We've discovered that we kind of need to lock down the dialogue, lock down the sound effects. We have this like part of our process is saying, oh, we have picture lock so that Andy can really pick it up from for, right. for scoring. And and uh, and then and then from there, really, uh, really blending everything together and really trying to make it sound like, you know, not only are these different people recording on different audio setups in different spaces in different parts of the country that they both sound like they're in the throne room together and they're walking around and it feels like they're both in the same room in our minds. And then we find ourselves in these different, you know, iterations of drafts and kind of the notes process with, with everyone. So I think it's, we've really hammered out uh, an efficient way of, of communicating and, uh, and kind of layering and drafting and, and just kind of working towards everyone's uh, strengths. Yeah. Well, and Cadence and Brody, I want to bring you back into the conversation because we all know Andy, Sean and I have been there for all the noting processes and the different draft processes, the draftesses, if you will. I'm wondering what was the experience like for the two of you 
in terms of hearing the different iterations and the development of the episode? When I first get the episode um, session, um, I guess there's nothing in it. I'm actually, I guess, the very first person adding stuff to the session with just, like, I guess, a very rough sync of all of the dialogue. And then by the time I hear it next, there's normally some underscore, right, when I incorporate Rachel's notes. Then it's just dialogue and songs. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And that's always a delight. I mean, like when I go back into the session, I'm like, all right, I'm going to splice up the things. I'm like, oh, cool. There's the songs now. Not only for syncing like with the dialogue, but also because um, it's it's good. And then after I'm going through on, I guess, the third pass with all of our audio restoration stuff, then there's sound effects. There's like actual underscore and also the um, like the choruses and the actors singing over the backing tracks for the for the tunes. And it's always an absolute delight. I mean, like every single time I go in with the session, there's always something new. And it's always something I'm like, oh, shoot, I didn't realize that um, like was even a part of the show. And it's yeah, it's always an absolute delight every single time I go. I, in. I know I've experienced that even just going through different actor takes and just seeing just just, just seeing the amazing range that these actors have. I don't know. I love I love listening to Danielle's uh, the character Danielle's takes. Yeah, Marissa Rose and Carson Robinette killed me as Chip. We were like, hey, Carson, let's get some size. And he took us on a whole journey. It had a beginning, <laughs> it had a middle, and it had an end, and there was a stop in Paramus somewhere in the middle. He was like, huh, 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 huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, yeah, that's great. That's what I want. I wanted 12 different size. I wanted an emotional journey. You took me on it. That was great. Thank you. <laughs> <sighs> when I think of like how uh, these these beautiful pieces of art, oh my gosh, it's like I don't know what these beautiful pieces of art, how they begin and how they end is uh, unfathomable to me. How Andy will call me into his office, our, our second bedroom uh, is his office. He'll call me into his office and he'll say, "Hey, I wrote this song in seven eight. I want you to listen to it." And I'm like, "Oh man, okay." And so I put on the headphones and it's like this epic, beautiful song. And I said, who's singing this? And he'll say, Grace Stockdale. And I'll say, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. I, I don't know what it's going to sound like, but I know it's going to be good because she's awesome. And then he'll play that for me. And then he'll say, oh, I just got a, a vocal in from Grace. And I'll listen to it. And it's like not completely mixed, but it already sounds amazing. And then he'll play for me the final cut and it's, it's just, it's amazing what you guys can do. Listening to the metamorphosis that is this project. I mean, yeah. And Grace Stockdale's amazing. So you could probably use her first take just fine. It sounds like you're foreshadowing something that happens in our next set of episodes. Episodes 9 through 12, which are going to be released starting in February of 2021. Ooh. Well, y'all, this was really great. I do just want to take one quick moment here at the end to acknowledge something that Andy talked about briefly with me previously and Sean and I have talked about in depth before, and that is the composer John Cage. I would just like to say that one of the things that I've learned from studying John Cage and the music of John Cage is to open my ears and to really listen to everything that's happening in the world around me and to interpret it differently. And I think that it's very evident to me, Andy, I don't know if that's what got you to this point, but it's very evident to me that you do a similar thing in terms of just how intensely you listen to sound 
and I hear it in your work as well, Sean, and how you hear what exactly is happening in the environment and incorporate it, in Sean's case, as sound effects, as creating the world and the atmosphere. And in Andy's case, in hearing the complexities of the orchestration and the limits and maybe putting in one instrument that only plays once in the entire song or only plays right at the end of the chorus or only right at the beginning of the verse and just layering in all those different levels of sound has really made this piece breathe. Yeah, I mean, I love that blurring, blurring the lines, which John Cage is so good at in between noise and music, because they're both essentially the same thing. They're just kind of air particles moving in one's ear. But what makes something music versus what makes something noise? And I mean, if you look at like his most famous piece, 4 Minutes 33, I mean, it's a piece of music, but it's just ambient sound. And it's a different performance each time. And so it is very site specific and it's drawing from the world that you're performing in rather than bringing something that's written somewhere else to that world. So it's like drawing inspiration from what's around you, which I absolutely love. Yeah, I I spend a lot of time listening and thinking about ambience. And I think that that started with... uh, Likewise, with learning about John Cage and, and his perspective. And what I find elusive about the world that we're creating is that it's, it's a world that's familiar and unfamiliar. It's both the world of Game of Thrones and Escape from New York and The Walking Dead, kind of all together. It's this, it's, there's no electricity, but there's these sci-fi elements, and, and yet... There's this realism, too, that, that's also part of it. And uh, so thinking about the worlds in which they live, but also the worlds in which we want them to live is, uh, uh, is, has been a journey. That's great. I mean, this was really fun, y'all. Did everybody have a good time? Yes. Definitely. I guess back to you in the studio, Hugh. Hi, it's Hugh again. Ah, that was interesting, right? So informative. Thank you so much to our audio department for letting us into their process of rendering such a massive, ambitious project into existence while working remotely. Wow. Um, I'll be back to hosting next week for a deep dive into episodes five and six with Rachel, Andy, Eric, and a few of our fabulous actors. If you have any questions you'd like us to address on future docusodes, please reach out to us on social media. You can contact us at the same handle on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. W2C Musical. That's W, the numeral 2, the letter C, and the word musical. As always, if you'd like to help support the project and these wonderful artists, plus gain a few perks in the process, uh, please subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash W2C Musical. And to find out more about the cast, the crew, the creative team, uh, and the show, please visit www.theworldtocomemusical.com. Until next week, I have been Hugh Heisel, and this has been The World Behind, The World to Come.